We are continuing on in our series through um, through the New Testament. We're still in Matthew. We should be here for no more than another 10 years uh, in Matthew. Um, so it's been, it's been really awesome. My first thought was we could get through Matthew before the end of the year. Now I'm like, yeah, we're in chapter 17. Um, uh, because you don't want to, you just don't want to rush through it. What's what's the point of that, right? So we want to look at these things, and each time I get a chance to 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 look at this, it's it's really fun for me because I know exactly what I need to read to study. I know what what what's coming up. I can I can you know break stuff down as it as it moves forward. And every now and then you run across a section of scripture like this. We're going to cover all of four verses today. Um, yeah, huge huge section of scripture. Um, but this is one of those sections of scripture that's it's it's uh, it's kind of like the the version of the flyover state in the Bible, like it's there, but you just sort of read past it to get something else. But there's so much that's actually in these little sections of scripture that we tend to not pay attention to, um, so many details and so much rich truth that we don't want to just pass through them. So we're going to be in chapter 17, verses 24 through 27. And it deals with the topic of knowing when to fight, but more importantly, knowing when not to fight. There's a lot of, op- there's a lot of examples in our world today of Christians you know, taking the stand and, and digging their heels in, and then, this is the hill I will die on. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Is that really the hill you need to die on? Um, you know, are, you, are you really taking a stand for something that is vitally important? Are you just taking a stand because you want to cause trouble? And you've got you to gotta kind of ask yourself, where, where are you in, in those things? Because there's some arguments, even though you're right, it doesn't make you right <laughs> to sit there and argue with someone because you end up doing more damage to yourself. You may win the fight and hurt yourself in the long run. So this is an, an opportunity to kind of see how Jesus handled these things. And starting in verse 24, it reads like this. It says, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first and said, what do you think, Simon? From who do the kings of the earth take uh, take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast in a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel, which is enough for both of them and give it to them for me and for yourself. There's, there's a lot in here. And that first verse, verse 24, when they came to Capernaum, the tax collectors said, does your master not pay the tax? Now, Capernaum was this town that they were very, very familiar with. They had been there a lot. They were actually so familiar with that area that the tax collectors knew that that's where they paid the tax. So they knew. They had record keeping back then. Believe it or not, first century bookkeepers don't know what they kept those records on, but they kept them on something. So they knew who paid the tax and who didn't. But the tax was only paid by people who were 20 years and older. All males 20 years and older had to pay this tax. And it was basically two days wage. So out of your entire year, two days worth of wage was, was paid. And this was a tax to, for the upkeep of the temple. It wasn't for local purposes. It wasn't for local government. This went, this went, all, the, all this went back to the, to the temple for the upkeep of the temple. And it was paid by Jews in Israel and Jews outside of Israel. They were very, very serious about collecting this tax from all the Jews from around the area, no matter where they were. But this little, this little line, does your teacher not, not pay the tax, this little section of scripture 
shows us a couple of things that are really neat. The first one is that we know that this is where Jesus and Peter paid their tax, right? They kept the records. They knew that they hadn't done it yet. Time to pay. Let's, let, let's do this. The second thing that this lets us know is that the reason why Peter was the default leader of the disciples was because he was the oldest. In fact, he was the only one over 20. Now, I want you to think about this because at this particular point in time, the disciples had been with Jesus for over three years, which means all of them but Peter were no older than 16 when they set out with Jesus. Does that seem a little odd to you guys? Like, hey, Mom, Dad, I'm going to go follow this religious guy. I'll be back in a few years. You're going to what? Yeah, I need a blanket and maybe a couple of coins, and can I have that loaf of bread? And then poof, and they're off. Now, that seems very weird. But when you consider that Peter was the only one that was married and that all the disciples had the ability to just drop whatever they were doing and just leave, that demands the understanding that they were not yet old enough to be established anywhere. And this is a good reminder to us, uh, to, to us, <laughs> yeah, uh, to those of you who are still younger, I was going to say to us who are younger, <laughs> okay, whatever, yeah, just need a second, I'm going to go cry for a minute, I'll be right back. Um, <clears throat> to those of you who are younger, there is a reality as you start to get older that you can no longer take risks that you could when you were younger. There is a certain age and a certain place where your life gets to this certain point where you no longer have the ability to course correct. So if you're younger in your age, you're younger in your marriage, think long term. When you're making your decisions for career, for education, I wish kids today, uh, I, I don't understand why school guidance counselors don't help these kids understand what long-term college debt looks like after you've completed your 19 years of not worth hiring study. What did you go to school for? Sociology. That's not a career. I don't know if you realize that. It's not, you don't really make money on that. Oh, how much debt do you have? $280,000. Good for you. Maybe it's time we start thinking differently about where we're investing our time, where we're investing our money, where we're investing our energy. Because at some point in time, you get out of school, you sneeze, and you're 35 with a mortgage and kids, and you that thing, man, I, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work towards this. Are you? Or are you just working off that? Long-term thought processes are much, much more beneficial to our lives. Parents, think about that with your kids. Kids, think about that. Learn from that. Learn what we're doing here. These guys were able to, to break away and follow Jesus in an extreme way, because they had no ties. When people say, oh, the fishermen just dropped their nets and they, and they ran off, they weren't their nets. They were whoever they were working for or their parents or their family. 
They didn't just leave the boat on the shore that they had been working 20 years to pay off (laughs) and then just walk away. They were able to step away because they were young enough to make those decisions. So be just, and this is just just a side note, think long-term about what you're doing and your decision-making. Now, you might be thinking that it was really weird that Jesus, being at least 33 years old, is towing around a bunch of teenagers through the countryside, just sleeping outside, you know, randomly doing things. It's just, it's just in, in our mind today, that seems really, really awkward. Almost like maybe law enforcement needs to get involved awkward. But back then, it was very, very common for young men who were going to go into a field, not just religion or, or the Torah at the time, but even building or uh, masonry, carpentry, stonework. It was not uncommon for them to leave their home very young and go attach themselves to a master or a mentor and spend their days working with this person to learn the trade. This is why the parents were like, you're not going off with that weird Nazarene. That's weird. This was a normal part of life. This is just how they did it. You wanted to master something, you studied under a master. And so they would follow Christ, and he said, hey, look, you want to be fishers of men? Follow me. They didn't even blink. They just did it. We think it's weird today, but if you think about it, we don't really do things much differently today. We just send the kids shorter distances. We put them on a big yellow bus, and we send them off to a school where they're taught by people we don't know most of the time. And they start at a much younger age. So it's not terribly different. So, but th- at the same time, Jesus is here in Capernaum two months before he's about to be crucified, and only one of the people are older than 20. And that's Peter. So the tax collector, that's why they came to Peter. Does your master not pay the tax? The question that the tax collector is asking is more than just a simple question of, hey, you owe us some money. There's a lot of theologians that are wondering if the tax collectors in Capernaum were not taking this opportunity to try to get Jesus into a trap so they could get him in trouble again. They were always trying to get Jesus into some kind of trouble, get him to say something he shouldn't say, get him to, to agree to something that they don't think he should agree with, anything they could do to get him in trouble. People were trying to do it. And teachers and rabbis who were working in the temple, who actually had the position, didn't have to pay the tax. So when they ask him, does your teacher not pay the tax? There's a bit of a trap in the background there. Now, Jesus was called rabbi. He was called rabbi by many people. But if you notice through scripture, Jesus never took the title on. He never forced people to call him rabbi or forced people to call him teacher. He didn't stand in the position that that title would have granted him. People wanted to call him teacher, that's fine but he didn't take the title. You think about this. Well, if Jesus would have said, uh, if Peter would have said, well, well, no, he's the Messiah. Of course he's not paying the tax. <laughs> what are you, crazy? What would have happened is that Jesus would have been accused of devaluing and usurping the authority of the position of the rabbis. The rabbis went to school for a long time. They trained for a long time. And more importantly, they had an official position within the ministry 
of the law. So they had a title, and that title came with privileges. So if you think about this, this happens a lot today. People go online, and they get, they get ordained, which drives me crazy. You can be ordained today, and this is not a joke, as a minister in the Klingon church. Do you hear me? If you don't know what that is, it's Star Trek. They have a church. You can be ordained into the church of the Jedi Knights. It's not a joke. That's a real church. Now, granted, it's kind of tempting for me to get my little card. I'm an ordained Jedi minister. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, there's, there's, some, there's some temptation there. But there are people who go online, they pay their $20 or whatever, and they get ordained, and they ask people to call them pastor. I'm pastor so-and-so. Really, what church do you work at? Oh, I, don't, I don't work at a church. I'm, I'm independent. You're not a pastor. The word literally means sheep, or a shepherd. Sheep. <laughs> you should listen to me. <laughs> the word means shepherd. Here's the thing. If you're a shepherd, you have a flock. No flock, no shepherd. I'm a classically trained chef. I went to, that's, what I went to, that's what I went to school for. It was great. For a while, I had the title chef. I would work in restaurants, and that was my title, chef. Guess what? I'm not in restaurants anymore. Do I have the training? Yes. Should I ask people to call me Chef Pastor George? <laughs> I'll either convert you or cook you. No, why, why? I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a chef anymore. I don't have the position. I'm not working in that role. I don't have that title. If I were to tell people, well, yes, I'm a chef, the obvious question that comes afterwards is, what restaurant do you work in? It's a little tiny one in the middle of Copenhagen. It's my kitchen. <laughs> and if you ask my wife, I don't do a lot of cooking anymore. So when people take on the title, there's, there, is a, there is an assumed position, and there is an assumed authority that comes with it. So when people refer to themselves as pastor so-and-so, and they're not part of the leadership of the church, what they are doing is they're devaluing the people who are actually in that role, and they are usurping the authority that comes with the role. This was the trap they were trying to get Jesus into. Tell us you're a real rabbi and don't pay the tax. That way we can come after you. Now, was Jesus above all the rabbis? Oh, yeah. He proved that multiple times as they would try to trick him with questions. He ran over them like they weren't even there. He would teach the people who were teaching, and what they learned, what they understood was they didn't know anything. They didn't know Scripture a tenth of the way that this guy did. Jesus had all of the right to take that step and say, no, I'm not paying this. I don't need to pay this. This isn't something that I've got to do. But he didn't. The very careful nature of Jesus' ministry shows us that this was not something he was willing to do because it, was, it would create a situation that would get in front of the message that he was trying to bring, and it wasn't worth it. 
He's literally the son of God, but he wouldn't even accept the position of rabbi. He just paid the tax. Now, it's interesting <coughs> when after Peter says, well, I, yeah, absolutely, he says yes, and then he came into the house and Jesus spoke to him and said, what do you think, Simon, from whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax from the sons or from others? And Peter says, from others. He says, so the sons are free. So the sons don't pay the tax. And this was not a question of money. We can get tied up in what this means. Yeah, you know, this is about finance. No, it's not. This is actually not about money at all. This is about lineage. It's about family. Why does the king not collect tax from his children? Because there's nothing to be gained in it. When you collect tax from your children, you actually move your authority backwards. If you hand a $5 bill or five $1 bills to your child, and then they're looking at it going, wow, this is amazing, and you reach over and you snatch one of them out and you go, taxes! What you've done, you've actually done something mean. You've done something kind of not nice. You'd have been better off. You'd have had a better relationship with that child if you just gave them the $4. Because snatching that dollar back didn't make you any money. It was yours to begin with. It didn't help the situation. You actually damaged your relationship with that child. It's not worth it. The question that is really underlying this statement is that are we the people of God or are we sons and daughters of God? That's the question that, God, that Jesus is asking Peter here. He says, the sons are free. Sons, plural. Some people say, well, he's talking about himself. No, he's not. Jesus is not plural. He's rolling us into that with him, those who believe, sons and daughters of God. But sometimes we don't value ourselves in that way. You think about this. <clears throat> if you believe that you are only a sinner saved by grace, which, by the way, you are a sinner saved by grace. So am I. All right? But in relationship to your faith, if that is all you think you are, if that is where you think your faith ends, I am nothing more than a sinner saved by grace. God pulled me out of the muck and the mire, and, and I am so thankful that I am, I am now saved, I am now redeemed, but I bring nothing to the table. I have no value, I have no worth, I have no skills. I don't know the Bible well enough to preach. I don't know, I don't, I don't even know if I understand my own testimony. I am just a sinner saved by grace, and I should just be thankful. And then I'm going to watch the blessed people who are, you know, who are highly favored and skilled. I'm going to watch them do all that cool stuff that I would never be part of because God would never value me that way. If that's how you see yourself, then you are a person of God. You are not a child of the king. Those are two very different viewpoints. Are we sinners saved by grace? You betcha. Are we children of the king? You betcha. Adopted, sure. But you know what? In the household of Joseph and Mary, Jesus was adopted. Jesus wasn't Joseph's son. Joseph adopted him into his family. If that's good enough for God, it should be good enough for me.
I know too many people who think, I'm just thankful that God got me out of that mess and I'm just going to spend my life trying not to screw up again. <laughs> I got news for you, folks. I guarantee you, you're going to make another mess. Somewhere along, the, uh, along your life, you're going to trip, you're going to fall, you're going to do something stupid, you're going to take a Bible verse out of context. You, there's, there's, there's a hundred different things that you're going to do that are going to remind you how flawed you really are. But now ask yourself something. When your kids do something stupid, parents, and I know your kids don't do anything stupid. I get it. You know, your kid, when other people's kids <laughs> do something stupid, how do you approach that? Do you ridicule them? You, moron. What's the matter with you? Don't you have any skill? Come on, you should be, but you should be better at this. You should be better at this sport by now. You're three. Wow. No. <clears throat> when we take that view, we have an incorrect view of God. We have an incorrect view of our salvation, and we have an incorrect view of our role in the family of Christ. Check this out. John 1.12. It says, But as many as have received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Galatians 6.18. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I'm sorry, I said Galatians. That's 2 Corinthians. I saw my wife go. Second Galatians. So, like, so my, my glasses are made for distance, but a certain distance. So, for instance, I can see this paper just fine. Can't see that TV. <laughs> Not at all. There's a little white line. There's a yellow line. There's something on the bottom. When I put my glasses on, if I move the rim of the glass... Cuts that word right in half. And all I saw was shins. <laughs> That's how that works. <laughs> the next one is Galatians. See, because I looked over and I saw, so, so you, you get the idea. <laughs> Stop making excuses, dummy, and move on. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because, now listen, look at the next verse. And because you are sons, not will eventually become if you get good enough, if you achieve enough, if you become spiritual enough, because you are sons. And by the way, throw daughters in there as well, Okay. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, listen to this, then an heir of God through Christ. An heir of God through Christ. That might sound presumptuous to some people, but I didn't write it. 
And if the scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit only speaks what God is, 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 is asking his servants to speak, then this is the voice of God reminding us that we are not merely people of God. We are sons and daughters of the King. In our faith, we are adopted into a higher family. That family comes with rights, but it also comes with responsibilities. This should remind us of the value of the relational aspect of our faith. Intellectual faith is, is, has its place, but relational faith is better. You can know that the scripture is true, but if you don't know the one who wrote it, then it doesn't matter. We go all the way back to Matthew 7 when they say, did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do this? And, but, but Jesus says, only those who do the will of my Father will, will, will see heaven, and I don't know who you are. They're working all of this stuff. They're doing the work of the gospel. They're engaged in all this stuff, but they forgot the most important thing. Get to know the person who died on that cross. Get to know the person who called you into that ministry. Get to know the person who saved your soul. Knowing Jesus is more fruitful than knowing about Jesus. You can, you can master Bible trivial pursuit, still end up in hell at the end of, the, at the end of, end of your life. It's about who you know, not what you do. <clears throat> This also means that we do have rights and values in the kingdom of God. If we are children of God, then we have rights to the benefits of being a child of God. This is true. Do your kids have a benefit of being your child? Of course they do. As a child of the king, you represent your family. Can I say that again? As a child of the king, you represent your family. To say it in another way, you are saved and you are forgiven, but you are also called, you are also gifted, and there is a part for you to play in the mission of the gospel. You are saved. You are forgiven, but you are also gifted and called, and there is a part for you to play in the mission of the gospel. There is nothing about our faith that allows us to be a spectator. I meet far too many people in far too many churches that just wonder what God has for them. I sit here, Pastor, and I look, and I see what these people are doing. I see people, you know, up, and then for some reason, people think that the stuff that goes up on this stage is this is what ministry is. That's a, that's a joke. This is one, one to two hours on a Sunday. And honestly, if I go two hours, people start tapping on their watches. We have a business meeting to get to. Wrap this up. This is, this is where we get information and training so that we can do the ministry, which happens out there, not, not in here. If you limit the ministry to here, you limit your own life, and you take away the role that God has for you. 
I can't reach your relatives for Christ. You can. I can't reach your coworkers for Christ. You can. I can equip you. I can teach. I can train. But I can't go to work with you. That'd be weird. Walk in and people are like, is it bring your kid to work today? Why does little Johnny have a beard? This is the ugliest 10-year-old I've ever seen. Moving right along. But here's the thing. If you do not walk in the understanding that you are a child of the king, you will unintentionally and subconsciously limit your own ability to serve God in the kingdom of God. If you don't believe you are anything more than a sinner saved by grace, you're just lucky that the door of heaven isn't locked and slammed in your face. And that's the limit of where you are. You don't believe you're a child of the king. You just think you're one of the people of God. You will limit yourself because when God brings you to some place where you have to take a step of faith, you won't because you don't think you're worthy. You don't think you're talented enough. You don't think you're called enough. You don't think you're capable enough. You don't think you have enough potential to reach what God is asking you to reach for. So you ask him to find someone better than you, even though he picked you. God doesn't choose the talented. He doesn't choose the most capable. He chooses the one who will lean on him the whole way. If you feel like God is calling you to something because you have all of the necessary skills and requirements and resources to make it happen, I promise you that is not what God is calling you to do. That's what you're limiting yourself to. God will always call you to something beyond your natural ability because he doesn't want your skills he wants you to do this in his faith. He wants you to step out in faith and obedience, and you cannot do that when you're in full control. When you know everything that needs to happen, you have no questions about what's next. As you're walking in that calling you think it is, God is no longer involved because it's okay, God, I got this. Jesus, why don't you sit this one out? And watch. Pick the right guy this time, Jesus. Man, blessed and highly favored. Uh, nope. I can't reach my favorite cereal at Walmart. It's always on the top shelf. At least the box I want. I want the family box. You know, it's like, <laughs> can I have this one, honey? There's a benefit to being small. Those marshmallows in the cereal, they're so much bigger for me. <laughs> Abel just can't believe it. He's just like, someone just make this stop. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, you think about this. You are a child of, king and the, and the, uh, child of the king, and the king literally stepped out, stepped out of heaven and died to rescue you. He died to adopt you into his family. And the question you've got to wrestle with is, what are you going to do for him? See, it's your turn now. You didn't get saved and then suddenly die and you're in heaven. You got saved. Now you have the rest of your life to live. What are you going to do with the rest of that life? Are you going to sit back and watch other people serve and just wonder what it would be like in one of those positions? 
or are you going to find what it is God has for you? And I promise you, for 95% of you, it has nothing to do with this building. It has everything to do with your life, your career, your work, the people that you're around, mission trips you might be involved, be able to go on. But you have to walk with the understanding that you are called. You are gifted. God does have something for you because you are a son and a daughter of God. One of the most difficult challenges we face as believers is seeing ourselves with God's eyes. We see ourselves with our own eyes and usually with the eyes of the people who are the most critical of us. I, over the years, I've been, I've, been, I've been senior pastor here now for 14 years. I've been, uh, I've been a Christian for 30 years now. In January, it'll be 30 years. And uh, I've been, been able to minister and teach the, the, the Bible for 28 of those years. It's, it's really neat. And I've had some of the most amazing things said to me over the years that, I, that at the time, I, wanna, I want to, to, to like knock myself down a little bit. But at the time, I just love it. One of my favorite things, and... Um, uh, most of you, uh, most of you won't remember her, but you guys remember Bev Johnson, right? So Bev was honest, <laughs> just honest. She didn't have time to play around. And <clears throat> when I first took over the church, she said, um, "You know, I'm really glad you're here. I can't wait to watch and see what you do." I was like, "Great. What does that mean? <laughs> you know, what, what exactly do you mean by that?" And after we built the first building over there, so most of you guys don't know this, where the tile stops and the, the carpet starts, that's where the first building ended. This is all addition onto that. And so when we were over there, I had made an announcement at the, at, uh, when we first started in, in that new building that I wanted to create an atmosphere of change. And so for, for probably, what, two, three years, the back of the stage changed like every month. It, it just, there was always something moving around. And she told me once, she pulled me aside, she goes, I want you to know, I don't like this. <laughs> she goes, but I'm going to wait and see what happens. I'm like, good, good, now that I'm scared. And about, I'm guessing about a year before she passed, um, I was sitting down with her and, uh, uh, she had been dealing with some memory issues, and this was just like a moment of clarity, which was, was just awesome. She said, George, I got to tell you, when you started doing all this stuff, I really hated it. I really hated it, and I didn't know if I wanted to stay, and I, I just need you to know that. She goes, but I'm so thankful you didn't listen to me, and you just did it anyway, because I've been able to grow so much more and find, find a place and, and to, to, to step out into things because she was stuck. She had limited herself to this tiny, this tiny box that she believed she, she fit in. And what she realized was there was a whole lot more available. We've got to see ourselves with God's eyes. And sometimes that means we've got to get out of our situation, do something different. It was awesome. She's a great lady. Now, having said all of that about your rights and responsibilities as a child of the king, um, let me ask you this. Does that knowledge give you the right to walk around as some sort of special and privileged person? Walk into a new church, kick open the door. Child of the king! 
Hey there. Y'all are lucky I'm here. I brought the Holy Spirit with me today. Impress me, priest. It's just silly. It's completely ridiculous. Look at what Jesus did. The truth of the matter is we are children of the king. We have the rights and responsibilities and the blessings of the king. And the way we are supposed to act is completely the opposite of what you would think we're supposed to act. Jesus finishes the conversation with this. However, remember, he just said the sons are free. It says, however, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, take a fir- the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel, take it and give it to them for me and for yourself. However, we are sons and we are free, but however, this is not a fight worth having. So go to the sea, catch a fish, just pay the tax. However is a great word. <clears throat> Jesus knew without hesitation that he should not be treated that way. But, just be, he, but he also knew that just because you had the right doesn't make the argument worthwhile. Being a child of the king does not give us the right to go around acting like a bunch of spoiled, obnoxious brats. This is why I have a hard time with certain types of street ministry. To me, they look like spoiled, rotten brats. Out there, not hurling hope but hurling condemnation. Remember the group that used to be on the square in Watertown? It was every Thursday afternoon. They'd walk around talking about everything that God hated. Got a bullhorn. Some of you remember, it's got a bullhorn on the city. Got the little sandwich boards. The end is coming. God will judge you. You're all going to hell. Drive around the square thinking, oh, Lord, please let that thing break. They make our job so much harder. Now, was everything they're saying Correct. Yep. Is that a hill worth dying on? Nope. You notice Jesus never did that. Jesus never got into the city. Peter, soapbox, right now. No, he did. He brought a different message. Check this out. Philippians 2, 5 and 7. says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and becoming in the likeness of men. Jesus was God, had all the rights and responsibilities and all the power and authority that came with it, and he chose to leave it because there was something more important than him throwing his weight around. Being a child of the king means that we yield to the role of a representative We are representative of God. Jesus knew that he could make a case for not paying the tax, but he also knew that doing so would damage the message that he was here to bring. So what did he do? He laid down his rights. He paid the tax because it wasn't that big of a deal. There are a lot of areas in our life, especially today, where a fight is inevitable. We know what they are. We know that that they're coming. But there are so many more areas in our life where a fight is possible, but it has no value. There's no profit in it. There's no, there's no benefit in it. Even when we ha- but even when we do have to fight, we do so with grace and kindness. 1 Peter 3.13 says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed 
Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And do this with meekness and with fear, having a good conscience so, that they, so when they defame you, you notice it doesn't say if, it says when, they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if, the, uh, if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. When we suffer for doing good, we suffer at the hands of men. When we suffer for doing evil, we suffer at the hands of God. Hands of men is always better. Having a right doesn't make you right, just like having a title does not make you entitled. Life is full of people who will look for any reason to dig their heels into the ground and stand firm on their position. No matter how small that hill, they'll die on it. This might give you a sense of short-lived victory, But in the long run, how much damage have you done to yourself and to the public image of the ministry of the gospel? We live in a day where everyone is offended by everything. There's no reason for us to give them more of a reason to be offended by by Christ than what is already there because the truth of the gospel is offensive enough. We don't need to create more problems. So if there's anything we can learn from Jesus in this situation, you may have every right to stand up for what is yours or for what is true but there are some fights that just don't need to happen great place to start ignoring those fights is Facebook just let it go and I'm speaking to myself and granted sometimes I respond to something like I wonder what's going to happen I'm like oh delete <laughs> that wasn't worth it my Screen name is Pastor George Gray. (laughs) That was a dumb choice. We can do better, and we should. Let's pay more attention to where where we're standing our ground and let the things that don't matter not matter. Amen? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to continually learn from your word, even these small little bits. Father, help us to think long term about our decisions. Help us to make the decisions early on that are going to keep us in your will throughout our days. Help us to analyze the situations that are around us and remember we are not simply the people of God, but we are your adopted sons and daughters. Let us live up to that responsibility as representatives of our new family. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. We trust you. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.